them on Facebook for interviews and more. The Morning Drive on News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here and joining us live in studio. I guess it's the only way he would be joining us in studio is live. <laughs> is the Lieutenant Governor for the state of Vermont, Dave Zuckerman. Good morning, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. Good morning. I'm, Good morning. I'm pretty tired, but I'm not dead yet. Yeah, tell, tell us tell about uh, tell us about the <laughs> first day. You look day very of, uh, Lieutenant Governorly today. Tell oh, us well, thank suit you. and thank tie. And, yeah. Tell us about how busy the first day of the session was for you. Uh, well, actually, I, I've sort of got the luckier job, to be perfectly honest. You know, in the second uh, half of the biennium, the legislators go straight into committees pretty quickly off the floor. They hit the ground running. Uh, as lieutenant governor, uh, you know, I greet some folks in the office. We make our office really open and available to people. I, I went up to the floor at a, a little before 10, and we had a lot of bills to introduce, but uh, you can whip through that pretty quickly. And then once you get off the floor, I don't I don't have those committee meetings to go to. So. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit more of getting around the building, talking to folks, whether it's uh, legislators in the halls or different lobbyists across the spectrum of what are they focused on, you know, talking about the different issues. And so it's it's not quite as uh, get into the classroom right away as it is. But you are also mixing your your duties with the farm and deliveries and everything well, else at that, the same yeah, time, Yeah, my right? first day in that respect, sure. I mean, I, I got up a little early and uh, did some deliveries to Burlington of some, some produce, and uh, I actually had to do deliveries on each end of the day because I, I couldn't fit it all in my car, and it was in different directions. So when I got home in the evening, I went back to the farm and uh, filled up some, some stuff into my car again and got back home around 7.30. So uh, it was a long day. Now, I know that this is... This is uh, I'm you. I'm just going to ask for the folks that don't understand how it operates. Would it be, um, is this something that would you would never consider doing? Or can you just drop into different committee meetings uh, and just to listen to see, hey, there's a there's a committee meeting on whatever issue. I, I just want to sit in the audience, in the back and just listen. Do you do, you do that? Is that okay? Well, I, I don't tend to do that. It does uh, sort of makes everybody, I think, a little is it on disruptive? edge. Yeah, um, I was going to ask. And it, it's weird, not just me. I think any lieutenant governor, you don't right. really see that as a historical pattern. One difference post-pandemic is that everything's online. So I can, I can quote, sit in uh, virtually and watch any meeting uh, from right. on, on the screen. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually been beneficial because... Mm-hmm. Uh, it is hard to keep track of everything that's going on, and if you've got a few minutes to spare, you can listen in on you know, one committee or another on, yeah. on topics that people are interested in and have a little bit more real-time information than even, you know, no matter what you read, no matter what news you hear, it's still really truncated information. Yeah, and that's so, and I and I was trying to think of that dynamic. That's why I asked. I mean, when the lieutenant governor walks in, it's everybody's like, okay, why is he here? But, but exactly. in general, you just want to stay connected because... Even though you may not be on any of the committees, you got to kind of have your eye on what's going on in the building. Well, sure. I mean, in the end of the day, if there's a tie vote, I actually have to break yeah, that tie. Yeah. Now, that's pretty unusual, and uh, ultimately, you, you know that's coming when it is coming, or you're yeah. close to knowing it's coming, and you you talk to three or four people on each side of the issue and say what what's going on here, what are the ramifications, and, and so you make that decision then. But it's it is it's important to know. For being on shows like this with you two crazy dudes. <laughs> We're talking to Lieutenant Governor Dave Zuckerman. If you have it on the second day of the session now, and if you have a question for the Lieutenant Governor, give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline, 888-414-0303. Dave, what do you um, expect out of this session to start with? You're going to hear the Governor's State of the State today. Obviously, you'll be sitting right there behind him. Sure, correct. And um, 
we know that the it's a tough budget year. The federal funds are have basically dried up. Uh, we've heard, you know, I know nobody's expecting it, as as you've said, and Phil Baruch said, and other people have said that the eighteen and a half percent potential tax increase identified by the tax commissioner. We don't expect that to happen. It's got to be addressed, though. But it's still up there as a, as maybe the highest one we've heard of before. So, what do you think is is it? What kind of a session is this going to be? Keeping those things in mind. Well, I think you know we're we're facing the results of of decades, frankly, of of policy. Whether it was uh, Reaganomics, I know there's a lot of folks that still believe in triple trickle down, even though most working class people are worse off today than they were 40 years ago, but. Uh, you know, we have pinched, pinched it and pinched it and pinched it. If you look at schools and deferred maintenance, there was a story in Digger about that and how there's almost $6 billion of deferred maintenance uh, and school construction needs over, I can't remember if it was the next decade or so. Uh, you look at the housing crunch, you look at our shortage uh, of law enforcement officers and, and so forth with, you were talking about crime when I was driving in this morning. Uh, and you've got the flooding, you know, and you've got state colleges. I mean, it's, it is going to be an extraordinarily difficult session. Uh, the federal money drying up is, is a big deal. I think, uh, the governor has had, uh, sort of a lovely eight years, uh, with a lot of, you know, big major challenges with, with, uh, the pandemic and the flood, but also a good economy when he started unbelievable federal funds through the pandemic. I mean, we got more money per capita than any other state or second most, uh, and then, uh, you know, that's drying up. We could use other drying up with respect to rain, uh, but the flooding. So it there's there's a lot of demands, and it's going to be really difficult. So would you characterize his tenure of eight years then as he sort of got lucky in regard to his He's his an incredible management? crisis manager. No, he's an incredible crisis manager. I think fiscally having the resources to do what we've done has been a bit of the Midas touch, uh, a little bit of luck. Yeah. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Uh, how are you doing today? Um, I just wonder if I could uh, ask the Lieutenant Governor. Sure. Um, there's a uh, an opinion page in the Observer. Which, uh, I'm sorry, the other paper, the South Burlington local paper, uh, written yesterday by a fellow. His last name is Gentile or Gentile. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. And what it talks about is the unbelievable high cost of quote unquote affordable housing. He talks about a housing project in Morrisville, St. Johnsbury, and Lindenville, and it's just staggering how much per unit these things are costing. It seems like a license to steal, um, and, and you know, way over over what you would pay for a house with land. Uh, these are those buildings that you see that are quote unquote affordable housing, and I'm wondering if some attention could be drawn to the fact that that. Um, it, it, it seems like a license to steal. It's an unbelievable amount of money per square foot that they that these buildings cost. And I'll listen to your answer off the air. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't see the piece, and I'm curious um, who's defining it as affordable housing. So it'd be great if you haven't hung up yet to to understand that a little bit more, and whether or not it got uh, state funding or federal funding to be affordable housing. You know, there are organizations, nonprofit organizations that. Um, work hard to, to build affordable housing. But, you know, in a lot of instances, the infrastructure costs, uh, along with everything else, still make it hard to build affordable housing without pretty significant subsidies. Uh, the other is, what is the definition of affordable housing? For a lot of uh, definitions, it's, you know, spending less than 30% of your income on your housing costs. And so if the units are, you know, $1,300, $1,400 a month, 
you still have to have an income of, you could have an income of, you know, $80,000, $90,000 and it's quote affordable. Uh, it's, it's not affordable for people making 50,000. That's for darn sure. If it's $1,300 a month. And well, uh, that's what we'd have to try and find housing for is building housing for folks making mm-hmm. 50 grand a year. That's 25 bucks an hour. There was a lot of people in that range, uh, you know, twenty to twenty-five dollars an hour. There's, there's almost nothing affordable for that. Well, thing. and what the article talks about, I just, I scanned it, and um, he does reference that it, it, these are these are projects that were partly funded with 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 tax dollars, but it costs one hundred and seventy percent above average per square foot to build them. Hmm. So, so he's looking at two particular projects: one in Morrisville, one in St. Johnsbury, uh, and and. Um, Basically says one, two, and three bedroom apartments, but comes down to three hundred eighty-two dollars per square foot to construct, which is one hundred and seventy percent above the average yeah, that's, of construction. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know what went into those construction issues, and I'm glad right. you have a screen you can tap yeah, no, into. No, so I, thank you for I that. Brought it up for you because sure. I wanted to. I, me too. I'm so like, you know, I don't know why the construction costs were so high. Right. You know, that's got to get looked into. I think if we're using public tax dollars to try to build something, we need to be looking at. Who built that, and why did the cost overruns happen to such an extent? We all know, you know, sheet of plywood's a lot more expensive. When I was, you know, buying wood for the farm last summer, mm-hmm. wasn't buying plywood because I was looking at the price going. All right, I'm going to figure something else out. But right. uh, you know, hopefully, some of those prices are starting to come back in line. And you've got got to remember that if something's, you know, suddenly on the market now, it was built over the last year or two, and we all know that the construction costs were really high. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a good question. I don't think we should be wasting. Uh, tax dollars in any which way, whether it's for building affordable housing or, or giving tax breaks to corporations that don't need it. You know, there's a range of reasons you want to have oversight of those dollars. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Morning, David. I understand that ARPA funds have dried up, but I'm assuming there's still um, infrastructure money coming into the state. Can that go to some of the flood recovery efforts uh, in Montpelier and Barry? You know, I don't know the the details of what that money is allowed and is not allowed to be used for. But you know, the IRA was much more based on uh, uh, tax credits uh, and things like that, rather than straight up cash payments to to states to use to outlay. Uh, but I'm I have not been close on the appropriations committees about how those monies could be used. You know, I do think the governor is very good at utilizing any federal resources in every way possible. So I have no doubt that if those are available, uh, they'll use whichever of those dollars can be used. And I think the state's been really good at that, whether it was under uh, Shumlin with Sue Minter pushing for those FEMA funds uh, to be used uh, and leveraged as best they can, or in this case with with Governor Scott. I think both of these governors have done uh, pretty amazing work with the federal dollars and stretched them every which way they can. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break. You can uh, join the conversation. The McKenzie Country Classic Hotline is open. Triple A. Listen the way you want. Now, we return on the morning drive. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the morning drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here. And we are chatting with the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Vermont, Dave Zuckerman. The McKenzie Country Classic Hotline is open. 888-414-0303, and we'll go right to it. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Um, morning. Lieutenant Governor, what's your favorite Senate bill so far this year? I, I really need something to complain about today, so if you let me know. <laughs> which one is it? 
Where do you live? <laughs> oh, he hung up already. He's 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 famous for one-liners and a zinger. Does a hit, he does a hit and run. He's from uh, I think Williston. All right. But, uh, well, it's good to have. Uh, we need humor in society, so I appreciate it. And uh, you know, it's a very serious world right now. Uh, you know, I I have skimmed the bills. I need to read them more closely. You know, I do think the flood resilience bill that was talked about yesterday is important. I think that's actually about humanity in Vermont. It's also about businesses in Vermont, and it's also about uh, dollar. You know, penny saved is a, is a dollar earned because if we don't uh, invest in flood mitigation, uh, the costs, we know the costs when downtowns get flooded, when houses get wiped out, the costs are way bigger on the back end. So I think that one hits uh, on a lot of issues. Uh, Crime uh, is going to be an issue, uh, but I haven't delved into the details of those bills as closely as I'd like to. Uh, I was listening to your discussion about the retail theft and you know, I'm I'm a small business owner. I've had stuff stolen from my farm. Uh, in fact, just this fall, someone came in and took a few hundred bucks. Uh, and it's it's a real violation. Not only sort of someone came into your space, uh, but most small business owners I know are not working 40 hours a week. You know, they're working 50, 55, 60 hours a week. And if you're in startup mode, those first six or 10 years, you might be doing 60 hours a week. And uh, you sit there and you just get, you know, it's really uh, frustrating and, and makes you angry that. People just uh, feel like they can take something from all the work you've done. So, you know, that's certainly an issue to think about. And then uh, housing, uh, you know, we do need affordable housing. And, you know, one of the things in that article, I got a chance to skim it real quick while we were off the air. You know, that was a 24-unit apartment building. And, uh, you know, I'm hearing from some of the affordable housing developers, you know, you need a minimum of 30. You know, the the scale you've got to go to to make it work. Um, and you know, there was the bill passed last year to look at, uh, in areas with, uh, the infrastructure, uh, and in designated areas to allow for more building without going through as much of the act 250 process. Uh, you know, I'd like to see how that pans out, but we, we have to invest more in, in affordable housing, whether it's the regulatory side or public dollars, because there's just no housing for, but you know that there's going to be more moves this year. They didn't get everything. The governor didn't get everything, and some legislators didn't get what they wanted in right. the reform bill for housing. They're going to be back this year with some more significant changes proposed. On the first blush, what do you think about the proposals to reform Act 250 that's going to be out there this year? Yeah, and again, it's I was uh, I was away for the last week, well, for a handful of days over the weekend, and just with my family for a few days uh, and during the holidays. So I haven't looked at the exact details that came out of that report on Act 250. Uh, I know there's a quick push to, to ram it forward, and there's quite a few different uh, perspectives. We're at the table on that, and when you see that breadth of uh, people at the table agreeing on something, you've got to figure there's <clears throat> likely some good in there to get done because uh, my understanding is the range of folks at the table was pretty broad uh, in that study group this fall. And I think you know that's a real tribute to, to Vermont in that uh, you know we get people with different views in the room to talk about things. Yeah, I think... Um and a lot of the a lot of the opposition, like the leagues of cities and towns, I, I understand why there's opposition there. And like I said to Senator uh, Keisha Rahm Hinsdale, if you're an equal opportunity offender, that's great because then we bring everybody to the table. They say, well, it's one sided this, one sided that. I'm like, well, no, everybody's got to give up something. And so hopefully that this second time, this second year in this phase will generate some more 
positive yeah, motion. At the same time, you can see how you start pulling threads and things will fall apart. Oh, yeah. So I think in the rural areas, there were ideas around uh, less fragmentation of forestry and, and some of the rural land areas. And so you might see some folks in rural areas going, well, that's that land was my, that's my piggy bank. That's my asset for retirement. So they're going to get a hit uh, while develop, development potential might increase in certain areas. So, uh, you know, there's folks that see that as a benefit, uh, but there's people that see lot fragmenting the, the wide open areas as a benefit. But if one side or the other says, well, wait, now that's too much development or you're taking away my property rights and any of those pieces get pulled apart, then the whole kind of uh, agreements tend to collapse. So all of these things tend to be uh, a delicate house of cards and you just you got to see how it plays out. Some more legislative issues to get into after when we come back from the 7.30 break. So I want to ask you a quicker, what I think will be a quicker question now as we head towards 7.30. It's going to get colder throughout the day. Oh, that was exactly. nice. Um, what do you, as a longtime Burlington rep, we know you're not in Burlington anymore, but you were a longtime Burlington representative. Can you give us your take on what looks like the Burlington race for mayor? Uh, it's, it's <laughs> he says that's a quick question. Well, yeah. it, it, you, it's, no, yeah, it sure. is, I think it's more quick. It's quicker than talking about a... Yeah, uh, in-depth sure, legislative sure, issue sure. is your take on Emma Mulvaney Stanek versus Joan Shannon. Well, I think you've got two really capable people there running. Uh, both have different experience. Joan uh, has been on city council for a long time. Emma was on city council and in the legislature. Uh, both really smart. Uh, obviously, different perspectives. I think Joan was the most uh, moderate to the conservative side of moderate of the three candidates running on the Democratic uh, caucus which probably opens a bigger lane for Emma uh, from some of the more liberal Democrats to, to go either way. Uh, no Republican is interesting. And with ranked choice voting there, I don't know why there isn't a Republican. I think if a Republican ran, it would actually help Joan because if the Republican came in third, their second choice would probably be Joan over Emma. Uh, New North ends getting, you know, slightly shifting more liberal, but I think that's going to go pretty strongly for Joan. Emma's got to get turnout up in one, two, and three and see what happens. Do you think that the progressive brand has been damaged in Burlington? That's what I hear a lot from a lot of people, um, from a variety of people, people in politics and outside of politics, um, probably as a result of the vote on the resolution on policing back in 2020. Do you, do you sense that, that the progressive brand's been damaged in Burlington? Well, I think uh, it's interesting. The progressive brand has gone up and down for almost 30 years now. Uh, and sort of the, oh, is this the beginning of the end, uh, always happens when there's a step back. Uh, but there's incredible energy uh, amongst younger people uh, and amongst people who are frustrated with the, the broad two-party reality. We're looking at the system in D.C. You were talking about, uh, you know, two 80-year-olds possibly going to be running for president, uh, you know, very likely going to be the candidates for president. And people are just tired of of the bickering between the two parties. So I don't know, you know, I don't think that vote was very uh, good for the short term for progressives, but I think uh, overall people have been concerned about the idea of just using pure uh, police officers for public safety and wanted a broader system. I mean, the governor himself has social workers going out with state troopers, and that's been very successful. And I think that was the intent of that vote. Whether that's how it played out is a different matter. Uh, so I think it's always more complicated than people think. I don't think that uh, the last few years has been good for progressives, uh, but I don't think it's like you know terminal illness or anything like that. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to check in with Fox News. Amanda's got the headlines. we got the forecast for you. And we'll be back. We're talking with Lieutenant Governor Dave Zuckerman. If you want to join the conversation after the break, 
The McKenzie Country Classic Hotline. This is the Morning Drive on FM 96.3 AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here continuing our discussion with the Lieutenant Governor of Vermont, Dave Zuckerman. If you have a question for Dave, give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline. Don't wait till the last couple minutes. 888-414-0303. And Dave, uh, before I go to, I want to ask you a question about what you think needs to happen with with the flood issue from this past year. But uh, you were talking, you mentioned briefly at the end of the last uh, segment, uh, Biden. And so I want to ask you, we saw Gavin Newsom debate Ron DeSantis. And when I saw it, I kind of thought, I mean, and I'm not someone that agrees with Newsom's policies. But when I watched it, I said, Democrats are going to watch this and say, this is the guy. They should be taking the case for us in November, not Joe Biden at this point. Would you rather have it be somebody like Gavin Newsom than Biden? Well, I'd rather have it be someone other than both of those two uh, in terms of Trump or Biden. And uh, But ultimately, I, I would strongly come down on the side of Biden in that choice. And I, I know that the, that's probably no surprise to the listeners. But I, um, you know, this is... I will always be a broken record, and we'll be debating ranked choice, you and I, for a long time. But aside from that, uh, I think campaign finance reform is a huge piece of this issue. Because once you are the incumbent, you know nobody wants to put money against you when you're going to be the likely winner. Because you don't want to be on the bad side of the, of the likely winner of the governor's race, the, the president's race. And uh, you know we, we are getting what we've paid for. Uh, and most folks can only give 10, 25, maybe 50 bucks, maybe a hundred bucks to a campaign. And the reality is as a, as a elected official, you know, you do remember who gave a thousand bucks or $2,000. Now on the presidential level, you don't remember that, but you know, who gave a hundred thousand, some super PAC or something or half a million or bundled money. And the media covers races. There's sort of the financial primary long before there's any votes. Right, they always talk every quarter about how much money someone's raised, and they're mm-hmm. clearly the front runner because they raised seventy-two million versus fifty million. So we're going to keep getting uh, the choices that we don't, on the ground level, always think is the best choice or want because the power that money has in the system. And uh, so, you know, Gavin Gavin is an incredibly smooth uh, a politician. He's really quick on his answers. He's really smart. He does his homework. Uh, you know, I think one of the struggles for Biden is actually, and it's something that's still very real, is, you know, he had a stutter his whole life growing up. And as you get older, it's harder to uh, be as quick in the, the methods you use to remedy any any of those kinds of uh, uh, physical challenges that one might have. Uh, and so I think that impacts his how he comes across. Uh, but, you know, they're both older. People are saying, oh, Trump's starting to show different signs. I, I'm not a big fan of either of those things as far as, like, uh, slamming people for how they talk. It's it's what's the results uh, in terms of... But you do want to have product. a president that can, on the national stage... Can that articulate. Can, that can articulate sure. messages and not so fumble what's and Trump's bubble message again through. other than anger and fear? I think you were talking not, about... Anthony uh, was talking earlier about how fear is an incredible tool. Oh, yeah. That's well, why we're going to see which, dark Biden. Which president out there, uh, which candidate... Campaigns with fear and anger. Biden def- more definitely does too. They both yeah. do. I think you that's can good. Biden with the MAGA speeches. 
But I think well, they both are sure. Be, but as yeah. a whole, I mean, there's nothing in Trump's speeches other than anger and fear. I, I mean, think it's just Biden from is, the get go. But Biden said he was going to bring people together when he got inaugurated, and he certainly has not tried to do that. No, I think oh. we're going to see both. that's like going to be their tactic. They're both going to reach down for the fear right. and go right, right. And for we're the, going to the yeah. lowest common denominator. And, yeah. and thankfully, for the most part, we don't do that in Vermont. And I, I appreciate that from, uh, you know, when actually Joe Benny and I were running against each other, I think it was three weeks out, uh, the, the Republican Party, very false but negative ad came up. The, I didn't even hear it yet. And I got a call from Joe. Yeah. Saying, hey, Joe, this thing's on the air. You know, I want to help take it down. And I said... Well, I appreciate that. I said, don't put out a press release yet. Your press release will make more media than the, than the ad is. I said, but if anybody comes at you and says you didn't do anything about it, I'll say you called me. Uh, you were out. You're yeah. ready to publicly be against it. And I would thank you for it. And, um, you know, he and I had that conversation. I can't imagine Trump and Biden having a conversation about anything about being decent and respectful to each other. And so I'm just thankful that we actually here for the most part and, and you guys sometimes shut it down when someone calls in and they're going to be a jerk yeah you know most people they disagree with me ask me the questions agree or disagree we just want to have fine. a conversation about it yeah or, because you're never going to advance if you don't understand where the person that you don't agree with is coming from yeah but I, the I national scene has just gotten so nasty and it's and it's because money money too many people have have uh stakes in the game yeah with respect to their wallets yeah, you know I think so. uh, at the top of the top of the money chain well, let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, guys. Um, Dave, I totally, totally, um, you know, hearing your speech and you're trying to answer questions that you get answered, asked, which you diverting to other things. Can Sometimes, you please sure. tell me two, two things that Biden has done really, really well instead of this disastrous internationally and locally that he's been doing. I'm buying the same product at the supermarket as you. How can you say that Biden's is better choice than Trump? Thank you. Sure. Uh, a few things. One, uh, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, which I think is a stupid name uh, for a bill, because uh, it was much more about infrastructure and energy policy. Uh, actually, if you look at it, uh, inflation is back down pretty darn quickly. Now, that doesn't mean prices are down because, right. and that's the, the the inflation that happened, which was primarily pandemic and, and immediate post pandemic uh, disruptions and everything else, and, and global uh, disruptions, uh, is a reality that is faced not only here but around the world. And in fact, inflation ultimately was higher in almost every other industrialized country out there, and we've brought it down. Faster and it's come down faster in the United States than it has anywhere else. What you're going to see over the next year, and it started in this last half a year, is that wages have started going up now faster than inflation. So the ability to buy things will become, and has already started, and it's hard to feel it because we're still feeling the muscle memory of the last few years, uh, will be getting better. But, uh, you know, you've got to look at everything in context, and that's where the world is complicated. But you're absolutely right. Prices are high. It's really hard. I was talking about building materials on the farm. I run a business. Uh, you know, it is definitely harder today. That is not because of Biden, uh, nor is it because of Trump. It was because we had a global pandemic. And I think sometimes we put too much power uh, or perception of power in the economy in who's president one way or the other. The economy was improving when Trump got into office, and it continued to improve. Is that because of Obama, or is that because of Trump? Well, it was on the good trajectory, so you should give all the credit to, to Obama? Well, no. 
obviously, it continued under Trump. So he didn't mess things up. Uh, so it's just before we jump down anybody's throat as president or any elected official, a lot of things are happening in a broader context uh, than than just what name is is at the top. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. All right. I'll just cite one example of a line from Biden. If you don't vote for me, then you ain't black. Now, in what alternative universe sure. is that kind and respectful of others? Yeah. No, I, didn't, I don't think Biden's perfect. So fair. Fair point. I think that was a stupid comment. Let's, uh, let's go to the next line. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hi, good morning. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, I spoke to you about the flooding once before. And you, you, your contention is that we need to build some reservoirs of, upstream of the Intervale to slow the flow of water down through the, to the lake. Well, I don't think you know, the, the Intervale is the floodplain. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I don't think I was saying to protect the Intervale, but I do think above some of our denser populated areas, you've got to maintain the floodplains. Sorry. Well, I'm telling you, if you take down that Fairfax Falls Dam, that power dam, you will free up that river. It'll drop about seven feet in a couple of years, and that will free up the Guyon from flooding Johnson. It will free up the Seymour and the, uh, the other one from flooding Jeffersonville and Cambridge. Uh, I'm sorry about the Intervale. It's going to get flooded. That is the floodplain. And Absolutely. With the, and with the shortage of toilet paper over, we don't need kale anymore. So I think it's time to start looking at doing some other things. Thank you. Well, I, I, I'd have to go back and have a conversation with you to remember any time I ever said we should not have flooding in the Intervale. I, I pulled my farm out of the Intervale because it is a floodplain, and clearly the flooding was going to increase. I don't think there's any way to stop flooding in the Intervale. So whatever we discussed, either I spoke poorly or maybe was clear enough. And so I, I, I won't defend that. But, uh, you know, I don't know about the hydrology of the river, of the Lamoille River and the dam you're talking about. I'd have to talk to some of the state hydrologists. Uh, I suspect it produces pretty cheap power, so I don't know how you feel about your electric rates, but, you know, every single decision has its consequences. There is discussion around taking down some dams. Uh, Maybe that's one of them. I don't know the specific dams. I think it's usually some smaller ones. There's also discussion around creating bigger flood storage dams. I mean, if we didn't have the Wrightsville Dam, uh, what would have happened to Montpelier? You know, it already was pretty bad, but it would have been catastrophic. At the same time, as you said, the, the issues in Johnson. So we have to look upriver from Johnson. We have to look upriver from Montpelier. Uh, and, and that's some of what was discussed yesterday at the press conference on that flood bill, is really looking at what we've been doing to rivers. And I do want to put a uh, uh, the, the last slam about kale. Uh, I disagree now. My, my wife's been cooking kale. and uh, Kale chips, by the way, are really good. Well, you know, you, you just take a little lemon juice and garlic and steam it. It's pretty good. It really is. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, uh, I was just listening, uh, and you were discussing about this Governor Gavin Newsom guy. And I just want everybody to kind of think about what's happening there. Uh, Californians are kind of like salespeople. They will talk you up left and fee or whatever. All right? So they've got a great role on that. Uh, you know, you really, and when it comes down to the money thing, uh Guess what? You know, they got a lot of investors in that state. So be careful about what we hear from California and how it influences our state. Thank you. Dave? Uh, you know, fair. I mean, California is the fifth biggest economy in the world. It, it could be a country in and of itself. 
Uh, you know, the, the reality about PCBs is those are probably in schools and or buildings yeah. all over the country. I don't think that's a blue state, red state issue. That's a construction uh, construction issue uh, through the, what was it, 60s and 70s, I think, as far as the materials. So, But did Vermont have standards that were too high? I mean, ours were much or, different or than lower. the rest of the, we, lower, we had, right. we had lower. low thresholds to consider. Right. The, lower. Uh, you know, there's, I happen to think when you look at some of the, um, nerving nerve created or genetic uh ailments we are seeing through epigenetics and others are seeing more and more autism you're seeing more and more various issues out there you know this is a culmination of all kinds of toxins that we're exposed to whether it's pfas whether it's pcbs whether it's others we don't even know whether it's the skin creams we use to block the solar rays most of those chemicals were created to help us with convenience or protect us in some way, but we're learning of those impacts over the long haul. That's, I think, one of the big issues of the next 30 years is the range of chemicals. And so when you say, is a threshold too high or too low? Well, the, low, the, the cumulative effect of exposure to one chemical after another in hair products, skin products, uh, quick wipe pans, which is where the PFAS stuff was, or is, you know, Calphalon, Teflon, um, how how high or low is too high or low for you with, you know, when you were a relative, you know, gets cancer at it. Nobody used to get cancer. You know, you hear people, why are people getting these cancers at 40 or 50 years old? So is it too high or too low? That's an economic question against the health question. That's for all of us when you actually know all the information to kind of have your own personal judgment. on. Dave, the one of the big issues of this session is, uh, or at least holdover from last session, is uh, paid family leave. Sure. And it and it. Uh, I want to hear what you think about it because it looks like there is a complete schism between the House and the Senate. Jill Kerensky and the House want to go back and take this up, and Phil Baruth in the Senate has said that's not going anywhere in the Senate. Yeah, no, the House bill that passed, it's my understanding, isn't going anywhere in the Senate. You know, listening to to the President Pro Tem Phil Baruth, uh, I think the Speaker was saying maybe there's pieces she'd like to see move forward. I don't know what pieces, um, and so we'll have to see what the House pushes to come up with. But I think given this, you know, in an ideal world, you know, I'd love to have universal health care. I'd love to have paid family medical leave. Um, but I think right now with the flooding, with the housing, with the investments in public safety that we need to make, I think it's pretty hard pressed that that, that is going to be a new, uh, you know, a big new proposal this year. That's so you come through. down more on the side of Senator Baruth than Speaker Kowinski. Yeah, I think there's just too many uh, too many priorities out there and not yet enough push. You know, I was uh, talking with a small business owner yesterday at the at the flooding rally, and and she was expressing a concern about taxes and so forth. But you know, small businesses are the ones that get squeezed the most when you don't have uh, sort of universal programs for workers because bigger businesses, whether it's the betas or the hospitals or the colleges. They actually can offer really nice benefit packages. So when you have a shortage of workforce, the small businesses are the ones that end up with without the workers. That's that's a challenge I'm facing on my farm right now. And so I, I would hope over time to be able to convince small business owners that in fact a little bit more money to create a level playing field on the benefits side would actually create a lot more opportunity of having workers in our small businesses. But there's I just don't see it happening this time. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning, you're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. A um, little late to the show, but uh, I heard uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, defending uh, Biden and saying that he's a better option than uh, Donald Trump. Uh, on day one of his uh, presidency, he 
started overturning all of uh, all of Trump's policies. And uh, number one, shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, killing 10,000 union jobs uh, uh, under the guise of um, man-made climate change. Um, I haven't seen any clear-cut proof, scientific proof, that man is causing this climate change. Everything that Biden has done is to has hurt American people, has made countries like Russia and uh, Iran more powerful and letting, you know, letting them do whatever they want to do. Um, America is not uh, strong anymore. We're not as safe as we used to be. And I don't understand just because you have a D next to your name, how you can defend his actions. Um, so that being said, I don't have any questions for you. I just think that uh, you're just pulling the party line and that you, uh, you know, defend them because, you have a D next to your name, and American people are struggling so, and hurting. So can I ask you a quick question? Because I believe sure. throughout this conversation, I've criticized Biden on a few different instances. Someone called in about the quote on uh, everyone who's black should vote for me or something along those lines. I said that's a stupid comment. Uh, I've said I don't agree with him on everything. What do you disagree with Trump on? I just, I don't, you know, I disagree with Trump on the way he, that he talks, not on his policies, but, you know, you know, if somebody hurts my feelings, I'm not going to uh, base my no. But do you think everybody from Mexico is a rapist and a and a and a thief? Did he say everyone was? More or less. I mean, that quote's pretty clear. But my point is, I don't think any one of us agrees with who is in our party or on our side 100. percent And I think if anybody, I've actually probably been more critical of Democrats as a progressive Democrat of just about any politician in the state. So I just you know. Don't throw me in a bucket or throw anybody else in a bucket until you know what you're talking about. I mean, and, and, and I, I tend to agree with that. I don't like everybody being painted with the same broad brush. <laughs> said that many times on the show. But I think that I do think that Biden's negative ways are probably a little more than you say. I mean, for example, when he went to Georgia talking about the voting bill, he basically said that if you weren't in support of the national voting bill that he supported, you stood with George Wallace and you were essentially a racist if you didn't agree with him on all his voting ideas. Well, if you look at how, what those how negative bills, and bad is that and divisive? Well, I think it's partly divisive and it's partly true. If you are trying to implement voting policies that make it harder to vote, you take uh, voting, you're closing polling places in dense communities that are particularly higher density people of color. You are creating hurdles for people to be able to vote under faux arguments of voter fraud. You know, at some point, the lies about the election are leading to policies being introduced that if are going were, to, to make it harder for people to vote, which is a fundamental part of If they were lies, why did Stacey Abrams not win that next election? She lost by more than she Because more people before. believe the lies. But, that's why. It doesn't but, mean but that's but what the fact, But the fact of the matter is, if they were trying to keep people from voting, boy, they were pretty unsuccessful. They had the highest turnout ever. After well, that. sure. And the thing is, in the short term, when people are angry about those rights being taken away and people are going door to door and registering voters. I mean, I've been involved uh, from the 90s in registering people to vote, and it takes an incredible amount of work to get people who maybe aren't that interested in civics or don't pay much attention. They don't listen to this show or Rachel Maddow. They don't listen to any politics. It's really hard to get them engaged when you're when the when the gauntlet is down and you're said guess what we're going to take that right away or we're going to make it harder yeah you have a little better talking point at the door to get those people out to vote but over the 10 or 20 years of those kinds of policies that immediate response that immediate anger response from those voters 
dissipates, and in the long run, you get less participation. So you're right. Turnout was higher in that instance. There was a lot going on. You had Trump. You had the U.S. Senate. But you need to have this sort of really close, everything's on the edge line. So, but so when Stacey Abrams made these claims that the election was stolen from her, you seem to take the stance that it's okay for her to no, say it because maybe maybe it was stolen from her. No, I just said more people voted for the other person. I didn't say what she said was okay. I think in the past you defend, I think in the past you defended that if we went back and looked at that. Well, I don't I would be happy to look at that. I don't have any statistics in front of me to show that a race was stolen by ballots being not entered or ballots being changed somehow. I would argue if turnout is impeded by voting hurdles then that's a form, but a very loose form, of of stealing an outcome because you've made it harder for people to vote. When you have people that are working 10-hour shifts and you've got a 12-hour day at the polls and you've reduced their either ability to vote early or the lines are really long because you've reduced the number of polling places and people have to walk away and not vote, that's an impediment to democracy. Uh, but I'm, I, don't, I don't believe an election was stolen in Georgia in that regard. Uh, we could have a whole show probably on this, but we'll sure. we'll leave that one there. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Okay, I'm going to end this hour on a positive note. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm going to go back to something I wrote several years ago in the Burlington Free Press in a letter. From apples to zucchini, from Allen Home to Zuckerman, I nominate the farmers as Vermonters of the Year for 2023. Oh, there you go. Well, I appreciate that because I had my worst farming season. So if I was a farmer of the year, I'll take it to feel good about it. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that, Dale. Yeah, that was uh, that was a good positive. Uh, it's true. <laughs> it's been a rough year. I mean, yeah, no. you know. All my butternut squash has already rotted. So yeah. what little I had uh, didn't store well. I think just when it's wet every single – I didn't flood, so let's be clear. I, I did not face what those folks faced, uh, but – the, the death by a thousand cuts, the diseases in the fields, the, the butternut squash, they're already toast. And, uh, but in a lot no of ways, it's because when, when you have total devastation, then you know it. But like you went and harvested those. There's a lot of people that harvested the, the, their squash and things, and you're right, I'm seeing it. Then they're like, well, it, it, they're just not lasting as long because it was, like you said, death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. So but, uh, you didn't experience the, the catastrophe, but every farmer I know had... Probably the worst year. Yeah, yields were down. If you either right. got the apples, whatever. But I do appreciate I that, and, and thank you very so much. Dale's, that is so Dale's note. giving you the. I know. Thanks, Dale. I'll take it. But so now, <laughs> today, second day of the session, the governor's speech today. What yeah. do, What do you think will be his overall theme? I think the overall theme will be uh, it's going to be a really tight year fiscally. Don't go crazy with money, and we got to deal with crime. All right, there it is. That was pretty good. And is, are you, have you, have you, has he you asked your advice on the on the speech? <laughs> that, that's it. There's your answer. Uh, silence, because uh, the, the governor's office uh, does not reach out to me for much in the way of information or thoughts. I uh, yeah, will continue to try to work with him and, and others in the administration, but uh, that was a decision they made seven years ago, and they've stuck to it. You should have seen the look on Dave's face. Was- no, the look was mostly like, how do I respond to be as respectful as possible? Right. The silence is the, the there, I, is, there is silence as far as requests for uh, perspective, and, uh, you know, I'm rarely silent, so there you go. 
There you Lieutenant go. Lieutenant Governor Dave Zuckerman, thanks for being on The Morning Drive, as always. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks, folks, for listening and calling in. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming in. We'll see you, of course, again next month for your segment. We really appreciate it. You thanks. got it. All right, we're going to check in uh, with ABC News. Uh, Amanda's got the headlines. we got the local forecast for you, and then we'll be back with... Um, Oh, uh, Accuracy in Media. Adam Gillette. Talk to him about 